I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Coming up on this episode. See, this is a basic doctrinal statement. It's a, a specific theological issue dealing with who Jesus is. You understand what I'm saying here. Jesus is not a lesser God. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? This break is brought to you by the Marine Biology Trip, an evidence for faith adventure in science and the Bible in the Florida Keys for ages 14 and up. Here's what a past student had to say. Well, I've definitely grown in my knowledge on marine biology. I came here and I knew nothing and I finished through this and I feel like I learned a lot. And I also feel like I grew a lot in my faith and spiritually because it has taught me how the Bible works. It's something that you'll never get somewhere else. Here is a place that I have felt very at home. The group is very inclusive and some of the, all the people you meet here are going to be lifelong friends. Find out more about this adventure by clicking the link in the description or go to evidenceforfaith.org slash marinebiology. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash marinebiology. Welcome to Evidence for Faith, and let me just say right now, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. This is our Christmas message for 2023. And wanted to put something out for you as we get into this Christmas season and so that we enjoy it. It's one of my favorite times of year. But let's get into this Christmas story. And what I want to do today is talk about Paul's Christmas story. Yes, the Apostle Paul, his take on Christmas. A little bit different. But let me ask you some questions here to begin. What makes Christmas Christmas for you? Is it just the time of year? Is it the snow? Is it Santa Claus? Is it the music? Is it the lights? Ah, is it the movies and TV specials? <laughs> is it the food, the special food you have? Or is it the Christmas tree? Or is it the presents? And speaking of presents, my friend, Pastor Mark Trinkle, said that Christmas is the only birthday party we ever attend, that we bring presents for all of the guests and not for the one who is having the birthday. I thought that was really, really profound and really very unique. But let me tell you another thing, another little story here. Some time ago, and this was many years ago, I was sitting with a pastor friend of mine while I was working up in a camp in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. We were sitting in a dining hall and we were just talking about different things, but I asked him, what, what is the hardest thing that he found uh, subject-wise to preach on? What's the hardest subject? And he told me right away that he hated the Christmas season. I was puzzled, but he says, when it comes to, to developing a sermon in December and for Christmas Eve, everyone uses Matthew 1 or Luke chapter 2, and the people all know the story. He said that it's so hard to find a topic to preach on during December. I responded that, well, there are a lot of other passages that contain the incarnation of God and suggested that he should focus on one of those. Well, in this Christmas lesson today, we're going to be studying the incarnation of God, essentially the Christmas story, but not from Luke 
or Matthew, or even John chapter 1, verse 14. Instead, we're going to go to the book of Philippians. Yes, you heard me right. We're going to do the Christmas story out of the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And we're going to see in that passage the wonderful Christmas story is told by the Apostle Paul. So as we get ready to start this, I'm going to be, of course, reading out of the English Standard. If you're familiar with our, uh, our ministry, I often use this one because it's a word-for-word translation. So let's get into this. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 out of the English Standard Version. And it reads, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that's the passage, and some may wonder where I find the Christmas story in this letter of Paul's. Actually, if you really study this, this is one of the most profound statements in the entire Bible concerning the birth of Jesus. In fact, Literally, I could spend hours talking about this and, and teaching and, and um, having people learn about just these three sentences that we have making up these verses. But what we will do in our brief time here, we are just going to examine this carefully for a few moments here with the Christmas perspective. But uh, this is the ending, you see. Back in the ancient manuscripts, this is the ending of a very large paragraph, a great paragraph in the book of Philippians on the doctrine of who Jesus is, uh, and one that all of us, all of us should know this passage very well in the doctrine of who Christ is. All Christians should know this, and a lot of times we, we just don't study this very carefully. This passage, these little sentences at the end of this paragraph, um, it does in fact deal with the incarnation of God, but it contains so much more than that. Let's just break this down and take it a little piece at a time as we go through it. So looking at Philippians chapter 2, the first two uh, verses that we have here, 5 and 6, and we're starting actually towards the end, you might have noticed, at the end of verse 5, um, just getting the identity, and I'll just repeat this out of the English Standard. Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God. Now stop there. We're just taking that. First, we read that prior to his incarnation, what this is saying that prior to his incarnation, Jesus was in the form of God. Notice that this is in the past tense, telling us that he is God. Now, sometimes to help understand passages, it's always good to go back and look at other translations. So, I frequently do this when I, I study the Bible, um, and I use a lot, if, if you've listened to many of our broadcasts, you notice I often will look at different translations and things. So let's examine some other translations for this phrase. I'll read it again just briefly here on the English Standard Version. Remember, it's the end of verse 5 going through verse 6. Just a little part here, though. It says, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God. Mm, that's what I want to focus on. It's talking about Christ Jesus. He's in the form of God. Now, the NIV 
says being in very nature God. The New American Standard um, has it stating, although he existed in the form of God. The Interlinear Bible reads, in form of God subsisting. The God's Word translation has it this way, although he was in the form of God and equal with God. The Amplified Version reads, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God as one with him, possessing the fullness of all the divine attributes, the entire nature of deity. And then the Orthodox Jewish Bible reads, though existing in the demut of the mode of being of Elohim. Well, what we're looking at here, we're focusing basically on one word. The key word here um, is the Greek word, if you go back to the original manuscripts, it's um, the Greek word hyparko, which is a verb, meaning in the present, in the present tense, but it also means to be existing as. So, why is this so important? It's important because many teach and many preach that Jesus was not always God, or that he later attained Godhood when he was baptized. I've had discussions with people who claim to be Christians, and they say this, that Jesus has not always been God. I've had many discussions with others that say that Jesus is not eternal, that there was a time he didn't exist. Prior to his incarnation in the Christmas story, Jesus didn't exist at all. And that is not what this verse is saying. I mean, there are many passages in the Bible that refute this heresy. Um, just look at John chapter 1, verse 1, where Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where he's called the Eternal Father. Hebrews chapter 1, the first four verses. Oh my gosh, and there's so many others. We just don't have time to go into them all. Paul is writing here to the Philippians that Jesus was already in the total form of God. He already existed and has the nature, the form, the substance of total God. That is so important. Jesus is eternal. As we looked at some of these other passages we just mentioned, it talks about him being the creator God. He was there at the beginning. He was already there. Now, looking at this passage again, it says, um, uses the word form, in the form of God. So what does the word form mean? Well, again, looking back to the ancient Greek language, the ancient text on this, we come to a word called morphe. Morphe, you can see we sort of get the word metamorphosis, morphosis of something. Well, um, means a change uh, into a shape. It's metamorphosis, but it's the shape or something of. I'm, I'm going to let John MacArthur explain this um, using his commentary. He has a very good way of explaining this, and I don't, um, I don't want to mess it up. Just listen to how John MacArthur talks about this Greek word morphe. It reads, quote, It is not form in the sense that we may think of a material shape or a resemblance. It is completely different than that. The word in the Greek has to do with a deep, inner, essential, abiding nature of something. It is not the external. That is the word schema in Greek. Schema means the outward, the passing, the changing, the fleeting, or the, just the external uh, vision of. That's not the word. So that's how John MacArthur explains it. Now, the word morphe 
is also used in other passages in the Gospels and in, in Scripture. It teaches us about the, the God nature of Jesus. Some passages also that do this is Romans 8.29, 2 Corinthians 3.18, Galatians 4.19, Philippians 3.10. See, this is a basic doctrinal statement. It's a, a specific theological issue dealing with who Jesus is. And it must be made clear that Paul is telling us that Jesus is of the same essence of God, making him totally God. You understand what I'm saying here. Jesus is not a lesser God. He is the exact same substance as God. This break is brought to you by the Marine Biology Trip, an evidence for faith adventure in science and the Bible in the Florida Keys for ages 14 and up. Here's what a past student had to say. Throughout the day, we'd snorkel, we'd uh, search different spots for different creatures, and then we would uh, classify, and then we'd do lectures by Mike Lane. He goes into deep detail about stuff that you probably didn't know about the Bible, and I feel like I have learned a lot more about like the crucifixion, even about like science with the Bible. So like that science helps prove the Bible, not the other way around, like people at school try to teach us. Find out more about this adventure by clicking the link in the description or go to evidenceforfaith.org slash marine biology. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash marine biology. That was the first part. Now let's continue in this passage. Paul in, um, talks about and writes here in Philippians, in our passage here, that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What in the world does that mean? It sounds so confusing. So let's explore this part also of the Christmas account from Paul, and let's first examine it from other translations. We come to something confusing? Hey, look at other different translations. Now, the New American Standard is the exact same as the English Standard here did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Same thing, but here's some other translations. The NIV reads, it did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. The New Living Translation writes it this way, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. The Amplified Bible reads, Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted as if he did not already possess it or was afraid of losing it. The interlinear Bible reads, not something to be grasped, esteemed it to be equal with God. Hmm. The key word here is talking about grasping or clinging to, as these translations are putting it. As always, when things really seem to be confusing and you're still confused with what does this mean? Why was, what's it talking about Jesus, you know, uh, didn't have to grasp or cling here? It, when you get to situations like this, you go back to the original language. Let's go back to the Greek and see what it is. It's the Greek word harpagmos. Harpagmos, it means to plunder, to clutch, to snatch, to grasp tightly. Now, I want you to notice something here. In these cases, if you're going to plunder something, if you're going to snatch something, what you're doing is you're doing something, um, you're using a case that you don't already possess it. 
you don't possess it yet, so you're wanting to attain it. See, this is what Jesus didn't have to do. One would snatch at something because they don't possess it. That's what this is talking about. No, Jesus didn't have to try to become God. Jesus already is God. That's what Paul is telling us. Thus, he did not have to plunder or rob to get his divine nature. He always had it. He has always been the eternal God. On the other hand, this is exactly what Satan tried to do. Satan, who is a created angel, who wanted to obtain, uh, attain Godship, he had to try grasping at it. Isaiah tells us what Satan said. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, we read, and this is speaking about Satan, that it says, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the highest of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Five times here in Isaiah 14, 13 and 14, five times Satan says, I will grasp to be equal with God. He wasn't God, so he had to try to grasp to get there, but he never will. And his pride sealed his doom. Notice too that Paul wrote in our original passage here, he says, equality with God. As we have now seen, Jesus was already equal with God because he's of the same essence, of the same substance as Almighty God. The third point, now we come to the direct Christmas part of this passage. It reads, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, that's a lot of information there. Let's sort of break this down into a few components. We're going to take these one at a time. First of all, uh, it read, uh, but made himself nothing. Now, again, if you're a little confused, go to other translations, look up the passage, and try and get some clarity. So the English Standard Version read, but made himself nothing. The NIV reads, rather, he made himself nothing. The New Living Translation reads, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. I like that one. The Orthodox Jewish Bible reads, but poured out and emptied himself. And the Good News Translation writes, of his own free will, he gave up all he had. The New American Standard puts it, but emptied himself. Okay, what's this talking about? Jesus emptied himself, meaning he poured out everything until it was all gone. Hmm, what in the world, Michael, does that mean to us? And how in the world do you apply that to Christmas? It means that Christ gave up his sovereign position in heaven. It also means that he gave up his majestic position his glory, his relationship with the Father, and his honor. Why did he give it up? To do what? To take on human form. Notice that he did not give up his deity. No. Actually, he couldn't do that because he was still God. He couldn't make himself un-God. He was still God. That is evident, for one, in the miracles that you, we see that Jesus did throughout the New Testament. The key point here is that he came 
to save us. To save us, he had to become human. Not just part human, but totally human. Yet, he is still totally God. Now, no one can explain that. That Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. You just can't explain it. No theologian has ever come up with an explanation of that. It's something we just have to accept. The second part of this little passage here that Paul writes says, taking the form of a servant. Hmm. This is showing that Jesus didn't come as a king or a ruler or a general. No, he came as what? A lowly servant. He wasn't born in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, nor was he born in Rome or in Babylon. Do you realize he was born in one of the most insignificant villages in all of Israel? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. You know what goes on in Bethlehem? That's where the sheep were raised and the lambs for sacrificing in the temple. And it was here that the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world would be born into human flesh. Not a coincidence. It's all planned. And he came as a servant. Uh, there were no people blowing trumpets at his birth. No heralds going around announcing it all over the world. No royal documents going out. No royal proclamation whatsoever of his birth to all the great leaders of the world. No. The only announcement that was made was by angels to who? Lowly shepherds. Who, at that time, shepherds were actually the most social outcasts um, there were in Israel. They had, they had gone down to the bottom of the, uh, the social ladder. They were sometimes considered like outlaws in a way. Um, unlike how it was in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, they were considered, at this time, they were considered social outcasts, uh, being out in their fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. That's who the announcement is made to, the people who needed it the most. The third point that Paul is giving us in this passage, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Now, really, folks, you should be able to catch this one pretty easy. This is the Christmas story in a nutshell. God Almighty, the Creator God, Elohim, Adonai, Geba, or Yahweh, if you will, laid aside his glory and donned the skin of a human. Realizing he is cloaking his glory in human skin. Why? It was the plan from the beginning. When man sinned and rebelled against God back in Genesis chapter 3, God had already commanded that the wage of sin is going to be death. And at that very first sin of Adam and Eve, God kills an innocent animal to make a covering for Adam and Eve. Do you realize? In killing the animal, blood was spilt. The verse I'm looking at is Genesis 3, 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. If you recall, they tried to, to clothe themselves with fig leaves. It didn't work. With leaves and stuff. That doesn't work. God had to do it this way. Blood was spilt. You see, this sets into place the old covenant sacrificial system. This is when it was established. To atone for sins, blood would be spilt. Matter of fact, in the Torah, in the law, the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, verse 11, reads, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement 
for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. This break is brought to you by the Marine Biology Trip, an Evidence for Faith adventure in Science and the Bible in the Florida Keys for ages 14 and up. Here's what a past student had to say. And it's an educational, hands-on experience that you will never forget. <laughs> it's gonna stick with you. And you learn things that you probably wouldn't have learned in normal school. It's not what I expected to come here, but it exceeded my expectations of what it would be like. Because I thought it would just be like, okay, we do some homework, we snorkel, bam, done. You know, we see some fish. But like, we got to see some really cool stuff and I've formed a lot of cool friendships that I probably never would have without the trip. Find out more about this adventure by clicking the link in the description or go to evidenceforfaith.org slash marinebiology. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash marinebiology. Well, now just think about this for a minute. With these Old Testament sacrifices and stuff, really, can blood of an innocent animal really remove the sins of a person? No. This is a symbolic and prophetic image of what the Messiah would do. Being man is sinful. We need a man to atone for our sins, not an animal. We need a man to do this. The problem is um, with the old system that no person can atone for somebody else's sin because any person has their own sins that they have to cover up. So uh, we all have our own sins to account for. I mean, I can't die for your sins because I have my own sins that need atonement. And an animal certainly can't do it. The writer of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. It reads, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. See, it was symbolism is what's going on here and prophecy about the coming Messiah and what the Messiah was coming to do. That is why Christ had to come and why we celebrate his birth, or rather his incarnation, because he already existed. And being God, his blood is sinless and perfect. He had no sin. He's fully man, yes. He came to resent, uh, represent humans and to redeem them. And we had to have a human man to save us. So Jesus abandoned, get it now, Jesus abandoned his sovereign position. He abandoned his glory, his place in heaven to come down and take on human form be born in Bethlehem for the sole purpose to redeem us. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why we celebrate it. A fourth point in this long section that we were reading. Paul writes, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's why he came. He had to use his blood to atone for our sins. And again, the writer of the book of Hebrews explains this well. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 through 14, we read, He entered, this is Christ, entered for once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats or calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of flesh, well, how much more will the blood of Christ? Yeah, animal blood really can't do it, but the blood of Christ can definitely do it. 
And you see, that's why we Christians should be so thrilled about Christmas. Though it's, it's pretty certain we know that most scholars will say December 25th was not the birthday of Jesus. Not, not, it's not the real date, I, I believe, of Christ's birth. Uh, no shepherd, for one thing, would be sitting out in the fields in the middle of winter, out in the cold fields, keeping watch over their flocks. They just didn't do it at that time of year. And we're not going to get into the dates and stuff on that. It's, it's not the date that is important here. No, what's important is this. Elohim, El Shaddai, Adonai, Yehovah, or Yahweh, came down in human form to make atonement for us. He came to redeem us. That is what Christmas is all about. Do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Has his blood cleansed you of your sins, your unrighteousness? I sure hope so. That's our prayer. And that's why one thing, one reason we do this ministry is to help people see that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is the only way to get to heaven. So this would be a great time of year if you've never accepted the free gift of salvation. This is the time to do it. And those of you who are Christians, remember this is what Christmas is all about. God coming in human flesh to redeem us even to a death on the cross. That's the Christmas story. Thanks for joining me on this little Christmas message here we have for you. And I hope you've got something well out of this that the Holy Spirit has spoke to you. We'd love to hear from you. If you feel the Holy Spirit compelling you to give and to help us in our ministry, please go to our website. We have a donation section there. You can click on that and donate. And may God bless you. And even if you can't, we appreciate your prayers also. So Merry Christmas and take care until we meet again. God bless. Support the show. Become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. Oh.